Hi, I'm Allison Weisbrot. I'm the editor of Campaign US, and I'm here with JP Evangelista, SPP of Content Marketing and Programming at Vivo. Hi, JP. How are you today? Hi, Allison. I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk today about Vivo and your evolution to CTV and original programming and all the exciting things that you have going on at the company. Just to sort of kick it off and contextualize things for the audience, talk to me a little bit about like what Vivo is. I think a lot of people probably remember it as the the music video company, um, but talk about how that's evolved over time. Sure. Yeah. So Vivo is the world's leading music video network. We have a library of music video and music video related content that spans over 500,000 videos and exists in a number of distribution points, um, YouTube, over 80 fast channels, we can talk about CTV a bit, and draws in over 25 billion views monthly for an audience of you know several hundred million that span 300 billion views a year currently. So talk a little bit about how like, you know, as people have started watching digital video in different ways, Vivo's offering has evolved, right? Because you really started out on YouTube, right? And then that's, that's expanded a lot. Yeah, so we launched back in late 2009 and the patterns in which fans have consumed our videos and and where we've lived have evolved over time, right? So initially we launched, we were primarily desktop and primarily desktop on both YouTube and Vivo.com at the time, right? Since then we've, you know, launched mobile apps. We've grown with YouTube mobile. That would be circa 2013. And most recently um, our evolution has brought us back into living rooms on the television. And that growth largely began in 2018, continues through this day and is our fastest area of growth. You know, now accounting for a watch time per user of over 30 minutes per session. Um, just this past year in the second quarter, accounted for, you know, within the US, 4 billion of our, you know, quarterly of our overall views, right? So huge area of growth for us. Um, mobile is still primarily our largest area of traffic, but um, CTV, our fastest growing. And so when people are watching Vivo on CTV, like, is it a, the Vivo app they're going into almost like, you know, the old days of MTV looking to put on some some music videos to watch? Is it that you distribute elsewhere? Like talk about how consumers access the content. Yeah, so it's a combination of both, right? We have um, several VOD apps that exist on on different platforms, Roku being one of them, Amazon Fire, um, Apple TV. And within those apps, we've actually spent quite a good deal of time uh, having both a sort of a hybrid of both VOD and linear, right? So you can search, you can find different playlists of all your favorite artists, videos, related content, but you also get access to all of our linear channels. And really a huge area of focus for us is on those fast channels that live across our apps and other endpoints like Samsung TV Plus and Pluto TV. And those are arranged um, pretty neatly for fans within genres and within decades. So there's a Vivo Pop channel on Samsung TV Plus, for instance. There's a Vivo 80s channel on Pluto TV. And really just trying to cover as broad of a base for all of our fans as possible, given the breadth of our catalog. So we currently exist in 80 endpoints. We have about 15 channels that different endpoints sort of take different sets of the lineup for. But yeah, that's really our our largest area of focus and continuing area of distribution to new partners as we move forward over the course of the next several months and years. Yeah. So talk about the engagement that you get on CTV and a little bit about how, as you've gained momentum there, how has both audience engagement shifted as well as advertiser engagement? Yeah, so currently 65 million monthly unique 
uh, viewers watching through our TV sets in the US alone, that's obviously larger globally. Um, as I previously mentioned, um, you're getting viewing sessions of over 30 minutes, which contrasted to mobile, that's really, you know, one video and out or two videos and out typically in a mobile session. So it's a much elongated viewer session, which allows us to package our viewers in that arena much more closely to the traditional television audience and allows us to compete really competitively in the television upfront and new front markets to really lock in those ad spends on the traditional TV calendar and to get advertisers to commit to us upfront so that we have a better forecast of revenue throughout the course of the year. Within that, you know, at this point in the US, TV ad dollars contribute 50% to our overall revenue currently, right? So that's a huge shift over the course of the last five years to where we, we previously were. We didn't previously really exist heavily in that upfront market. We had a sales team that was constantly competing for scatter dollars, so to speak. So quarters would come up, they're responding to RFPs, trying to lock in money, you know, really in the moment versus well upfront, just allows us to really plan much better over the course of the year um, to roll out more consistent ad products and packages over the course of the year, knowing that that revenue revenues coming in, and then the audience is supporting sort of everything that the major agencies and brands are buying into on our network. Yeah. So talk about how like the upfront, the sales pitch has changed, right? Like now you're going in much earlier with an upfront package. Do you find that the market is more receptive to buying digital video uh, across AVOD upfront? And how does that kind of change the way that you package and offer your, your content to advertisers? Yeah, it's it's made an absolute difference. The fact that we've shifted to TV and we have, you know, now the largest fast channel network on the planet. Advertisers have been very receptive to buying in incredibly early. Um, you know, we run our new front same timing as IAB does with with the majority of large platforms like Facebook and YouTube in early May, and we get commitments for spends within the traditional broadcast year, so we're running through September 30th, New Year kicks off October 1st, but we're having, you know, fairly large agencies commit large sums to us. And then that money essentially becomes Endeavor money throughout the course of the year. And our sales team works with the brands under those agencies to unlock those dollars throughout the course of the year. We've had thousands of major, you know, blue chip company advertisers across, you know, spending across Vivo over the years. But, you know, most recently you'll see, you know, a lot of activity and a lot of ads across our content from Verizon, from Apple, State Farm, and other large companies. And so as you build your CTV footprint, like what new ad offerings are you creating for for brands in these AVOD environments? I know there's a lot of discussion about, you know, the opportunity to kind of reinvent the creative experience. Is that something that you're thinking about as you build out CTV? Yeah, so something that's incredibly refreshing for us as we build out CTV is our own control of the UX. So I have a team that programs all of these fast channels and all the shelves in our AVOD experience, which is really in stark contrast to what we have available to us in the real estate that we get on YouTube, right? In the YouTube environment, you're largely reliant on the up next feature or what's programmed in the right rail vis-a-vis suggested related videos, right? And as as much as we could do to growth hack that, no one on the planet has the full secret sauce as to how exactly to manipulate that to get your videos to play versus in our environment when we're literally programming hour by hour wall clock time like you would see on a traditional programming guide on broadcast cable for instance so if you're on your you know 80s if you're on the if you're on the vivo 80s channel on pluto tv at thursday at 5 p.m you're getting like certain dance rock hits and we're, we're tapping directly into that sort of nostalgia vibe so 
advertisers have a variety of packages now that they can buy into across those different hours that we program. Thematic themed, we can go fully mood-based themed through different AI that we've built out over the course of the last several years, and a ton and host of editorial moments now that we can program across any given day at any given time. So it could be an artist's birthday, it could be the anniversary of an album release, and you're suddenly getting you know, an hour to three hours of that artist's videos playing on a particular channel. You're getting the vibe of that artist plus a ton of related artists. We can really mix and match and tailor all of our content to advertisers' needs and the demographics they're trying to hit, the reach they're trying to hit, all that fun stuff. Yeah. So as you kind of um, talk about like these different offerings, how much of the of your business on CTV is programmatic versus like direct deals? Because, um, you know, I know that while certain things like, you know, an artist's birthday may be something that you have to kind of plan for in advance, the Vivo has other offerings, right? Like I know you have an API network to target Asian American audiences. Talk about how that all fits together. It is a combination of both. In the US, primarily, it's the Vivo direct sales team that is selling against our content. And the majority of business that occurs for us on CTV is direct sold business, as a lot of those impressions are committed through the upfronts. Right. So it's mostly backfill that you're going to see that's non-primarily sold impressions that are going to run through programmatic. You'll get, you know, some direct response stuff through Google on certain um, sets of content. A lot of it is more of our long tail content, less, you know, more recently released premium content would mostly go through direct sales. And that includes, you know, products like our video premieres, which we roll out 30 to 40 of them weekly across all genres. There's a credit system in-house for advertisers to come in to pre-buy either artists specifically or to buy across a genre. So you might want, you know, for lack of a, you know, for, for, an, for a theoretical example, for instance, right? Like you could say you want to buy all of Taylor Swift for Q4 if you have a sense as an advertiser that Taylor is going to be releasing during that time period. And you can pay a premium to lock in the rights to run your pre-rolls against her videos when, whenever they're released, right? So we have that system fully in place. So a majority of that sort of really high-end premium business that we do and a good portion of our revenue is represented through direct sales like that. Mm, interesting. So you're, you brought up, programming and content. Talk a little bit about how Vivo thinks about programming on CTV and then where original content fits into that strategy. Yeah. So it's incredibly dependent on the specific channel that we're talking about, right? So as we look at CTV and as we look at fast channels, if you're on Vivo Pop, we are trying to program a robust 24-hour wall clock time for you across a given day. Um, heading into the weekend, you'll see things that are more party-based and party-themed than you would, you know, on a Tuesday morning, right, where you might get, you know, more chill mixes and different moods and themes that are more reflective of that. It's reflective of seasons across the U.S., so you'll get more summer-based stuff in the summer. You'll get stuff as we hit, you'll get, you'll get your own holiday channel, actually, on most of our platforms as we head into holidays, and you'll get, you know, winter, fall theme, sort of everything. Um, and a new area that we're beginning to explore as we head into Q4 of this year and Q1 of next is um, contextual based, right? So being able to read our catalog for objects or other themes that aren't picked up by Mood AI that we can then create new programming blocks off of. So think of, you know, for lack of a better example, beach videos, right? And being able to crawl our entire catalog, pull those up, and give our programmers the tools to be able to kind of pick and choose what makes sense for given programming hours that we're putting into fast channels. Talk about Mood AI. It's really interesting. Like, how do you use AI to create your programming strategies? We have 
um, different data sets that we look at across the entirety of our catalog and almost every single video at this point grouped into mood themes. So you'll get, you know, uplifting, happy, sad, sort of a whole tranche of key values that we've assigned um, to every video in the catalog for the most part that's going to be programmed onto CTV at this point and are able to then have our programmers look at those in groups and decide if they sort of make sense to run as a half hour theme, an hour theme across our CTV fast channels. Awesome. And then how do you think about original content and how are you tapping into your relationships with artists to bring interesting content to people? Yes. So we tape quite a good deal of original content every single calendar year. We're currently operating studios in Brooklyn, in London, and we're about, we're very happy to announce that we're opening a studio in Los Angeles for the first time in the coming weeks. And we tape a range of artists, mainly in the performance content genre, from the most emerging artists to the most established artists in the world, um, non-traditional venue-based. So within the studio, we'll, we'll do some studio-based settings, non, non-audience, more like a live music video sort of setting. Um, and we also go off-site to tape with you know, large-scale artists. In the past you know, two years, it's been Ariana Grande for us, Justin Bieber, The Weeknd, Jay Balvin, Doja Cat, MGK. And we're creating full sort of immersive experiences them for them to represent songs on their albums that they might not necessarily have a music video commission for, or they, ha- they just happen to love and want to reimagine fully for their fans and creating these amazing live um, one-shot, one-take visuals for them, fully choreographed so the artist has to be able to perform the song live, get through all the steps of what they're going to be doing live in this environment in sort of this one-shot, one-take that I mentioned. So performance is huge for us. It represents about 90% of the original content we make. And in 2022, we'll tape with approximately 500 artists and put out 850 pieces of original content. Wow. And so is this like, when you think of content, is it really about like just watching the artist perform or are you doing anything in this, in the sense of maybe like documentary or like, I don't know, are you thinking beyond the music video? We've done some docu content in the past. For us right now, it's something that we'll look as exploratory in the future. Now that we're more established in CTV, we've really been focused on short form up to date, right? Just based on the fact that, you know, YouTube's been our largest distribution source and the content's performed better there. And really the way that we look at original content is trying to make it the most additive experience for the content suite that we can work with with an artist. So for years, that was really trying to augment their YouTube channels. Now that we have this really immersive CTV experience, we can begin to build out that offering whilst looking at other opportunities with artists that, you know, don't really fit into either. So we focused on, you know, three to five minute videos for now. We'll look at longer form in the future, but then you have to look at, you know, social media as another sort of guide stick as to content we should be creating that can help an artist. YouTube Shorts is something that we'll be more, much more involved in in the coming weeks and months. Same thing with creating content for TikTok, IG. Artists do that very well on their own currently, but there's you know editorial points of view that we can bring to it and help them you know per- perhaps market themselves better at different times that we begin to look at in those spaces. Mm, interesting. So you mentioned the LA studio. Congratulations on on opening that. Talk about what what are you going to be using it for, and why did you decide to open it? I mean, I think LA for us, it took a minute, but is a no-brainer given, you know, where artists reside, right? So only having the optionality of coming to New York or London, I think, restricted us from a subset of artists who might not be coming through to do promotion in New York or London, especially now that we've gone through a pandemic and a lot of the promotional activities that artists do to market albums 
is either done virtually or, you know, they sort of skip that older school sort of radio label, takes them around trip to all the different offices. So we want to reside closer to artists and the content that we'll be filming there is going to range from studio performance to a series that we have that's called Control. That's mainly for, you know, some of the largest MCs in the world does a great spotlight on how they perform different tracks, typically two to three tracks when they come in to work with us. And we'll be doing some editorial short form content. And ultimately, um, over the course of the next year, begin visiting artists and capturing more content on set at music videos. And so how do you, as you open the studio, as you do more original content, like how do you incorporate brands into the equation? Yeah. So all the content that we shoot from an original content perspective is available for brands to come in and sponsor be it a series, knowing that we're going to have a certain amount of it and a certain tier of artists for a year over the course of the year. So take, for instance, um, our emerging artist series, Discover. We tape upwards of 60 artists a year. You're really seeing the newest artists really before they've hit sort of any notoriety. But from a taste perspective, our editorial and programming team love, maybe have released, you know, two to three singles. And this is one of their first times on set professionally capturing performance content. You can almost see it sometimes when different arts come in, they're, they're noticeably more nervous than established artists. And brands can take part through sponsorship of that program or, you know, in certain programs like studio performance for us, they can buy artists one-off or related artist packages. So if they want, you know, only pop artists that come in for studio or only rap artists that come in for control, they can buy, um, you know, four to six episodes of it. Um, our preference is always they buy the entire series, but we make it available in both ways. Yeah. You mentioned the up and coming artists. I know Vivo has a program to support up and coming artists called Artists to Watch. Talk about that program and, and how it works and then how you can incorporate brands in there for to sponsor new artists. Yeah. So Artists to Watch is the culmination of each year's Discover program where we take a look at who we think is poised to break the following year. And Many, many, many music editorial outlets do tip lists, but very few endeavor to tape with 20 artists over the course of two weeks prior to the end of the year mm -hmm. and get sessions in with all of them. We've managed to do that for about the last 10 years now. And we'll essentially have labels and managers or artists who are self-releasing um, submit to our programming teams in both the US, UK, and EU. We receive you know, several hundred submissions per year team sort of goes through every single submission, ranks the artists, sort of sees where they are from a metrics perspective, watches them perform, goes out and sees them perform live, reviews all their video content, and comes up with a final list of 20 artists that we bring into our studios in both Hackneywick in London and in Dumbo in New York. And we tape two songs with them each. We get some personality content, some social content with them. And we slowly roll that content out to give them each their own marketing moment on our platform throughout the end of the year into early next. Um, this year, you know, we're pleased to work with new artists like Flower of Love and Glorilla, but there are many, many, many. And they span multi-genre and um, really many demos and many countries that they're coming from. Awesome. So do you find with brands, are they excited to sponsor new artists or is there a little bit more of an inherent risk, like not knowing their track record or personality and, and all of that? Some brands have, you know, key alignment values where it makes a ton of sense for them. Uh, some really gravitate towards A-list star power and we just try to package it in such a way in which we're trying to really hit you know, whatever key metrics the brand is looking for. We've had it sponsored in the past. We've had the program not sponsored. For us, we're doing it either way. This is really in service to the editorial on the platform to helping market artists. We create all of our original content sort of 
regardless of sponsorship. So brands know that we're going to be making it. It's it's not sort of a built if sold model. It's a built in service of the artists who deliver all these videos to us on our platform on a regular basis to really more deeply um, connect with them, to get much more closely aligned with them creatively. So they see that beyond sort of a marketing and a monetization engine, we're really here for them and the creative community. For sure. So as Vivo expands on CTV, um, another exciting area coming down the pike is live. And I know that Vivo has just partnered with Hulu Live. Talk about that partnership and what it entails. Yeah, we're incredibly excited to have our fast channels be carried on Hulu Live and partner with Hulu and the entire family over there at Disney. Um, We'll be launching six channels through their ad-supported tier. I say six, there'll be one that's more temporary. There'll be our holiday channel throughout the course of the holidays, and then five of our our core channels, including Vivo Pop and several others. And and for us, this is, you know, the continued journey for us on CTV, trying to frequent when, where, and how fans consume music video and their favorite artists. Hulu seems like a natural partner. They have an ad-supported tier. We 100% function as ad-supported. We don't deal in the subscription business. And I think, you know, beyond Hulu, you'll begin to see more and more subscription platforms begin to launch a fast offering. Um, for us, you know, nothing else to announce at the moment, but always excited to have continued scale and reach with new partners. And I think that we'll have the opportunity to bring fans music videos on a variety of platforms over the course of the next several years. Yeah, it's really interesting, like as these live fast channels kind of launch and as you partner with them, it's almost like back to the MTV days, right? Like what is similar? What do you feel like is full circle? What do you feel like is really different about this era of, of music video content? I think the, the biggest differentiator, and you might also hear the same sort of key theme from folks at record labels and artists themselves is that music videos make money now, right? (laughs) This key support from the advertiser community allows artists and labels to monetize music videos and to actually recoup the investment of shooting the videos themselves. When it was primarily MTV, every single music video is essentially used as a marketing tool and only a marketing tool. So now you have the sort of extended benefit of the modernization plus the marketing. The reach has never been bigger on music videos. MTV was a huge juggernaut and pioneer in its time, but with the advent of the technology and the distribution power that both we have and all these additional platforms have and artists have to promote themselves on social, it feels so much bigger than it used to be, but also so much broader, right? Like there isn't one entity telling you every single artist to watch at this given time. So I feel like you do still have superstars, You probably have less superstars than maybe you used to have and music has become more democratized and we're no different in that pursuit for helping emerging artists and established artists than anyone else is and how great all the audio DSPs have done as well with that. But, you know, in this instance, I feel like music is just much broader and more widely consumed and more accessible to share sort of peer to peer and friend to friend um, than it used to be in the MTV era. Yeah, for sure. And I think that kind of aligns with your emerging talent program. Like a lot of artists are now becoming famous on Spotify or SoundCloud. You don't necessarily have to align with a record label anymore. Yeah. And there's, I think a really specific role that we bring to the forefront with artist marketing, with artist development that you might not get with the reach and exposure that you get through audio DSPs. So within Spotify and within Apple, you could have a track that absolutely blows up, right? And fans love it. They're served it consistently through the algorithm there, but they might not be able to connect the face to the artist, or know the artist's story, their aesthetic yet. So the visual brings so much more to that fan base. I mean, specifically to from a discovery perspective, just to see if your vibe aligns with the artist beyond the song as a fan. But also once 
you've been bought in with them following their story from video to video. I mean, with Taylor Swift's fans, like the amount of consumption and the amount of thinking that goes into what she's just going to drop in the video from Easter egg to Easter egg, she's second to none in that sort of pursuit and what she does with the medium. But more artists sort of really do a great job of engaging their fan base through the official music video as sort of a central rallying point for what that song is supposed to express and more largely the visuals, the aesthetics, the theme of the album. Mm -hmm. So I know we've covered a ton of exciting updates here, but what can we expect from Vivo in the CTV world and, and for advertisers as we head into 2023? You know, we'll be back at the new front out there with, with many new offerings as to how we package videos the continued investment and discovery for us into long form, I think will be something that you begin to see more um, apt on our platform next year. As we head into that new front, you can imagine things like full concert footage that's never been before seen on a fast channel or in an ad supported environment, things, you know, that lapse um, their subscription exclusivity window that we can broadcast in full will be definitely be something new that we'll be discussing in way more detail next year. And I think just a continued emphasis on finding more footprints where we can bring videos to fans in environments that we haven't lived in before. That applies to the US. I think it also applies heavily to where you might view us in Western Europe and in the UK. So just much more enhanced distribution over the course of next year and more than likely a continuation to develop the channels that we have and develop new channels that might fit more niche themes for specific platforms that we haven't developed before. So you can get into more subgenres across a full channels theme. You can parse a decade with a theme or a mood where you can really build out these channels and try to tailor it to both a more specific audience offering and a more specific advertiser offering. Awesome. Well, sounds super exciting. Thank you so much, JP, for walking me through all of the upcoming exciting news from Vivo. And I'll, I look forward to watching some music videos on Hulu. Thank you so much for the time. And we appreciate your viewership. 